Hi, and welcome to Full Metal Pod. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. So, Jimmy, how was your week and your weekend? My week and my weekend both felt very uneventful. I don't think I've done much this week. Coming off of a Thanksgiving weekend, I just uh, pretty laid low. Yeah, I pretty much did the same. So I had a busy work week, which, you know, that is, it is what it is. So trying to wrap up things before the end of the year. Luckily, the last two weeks of the year tend to be pretty slow, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, um, aside from that, yeah, I don't think I did much interesting. I did, um, what was it that I did? So I started playing Metal Gear Solid 2 again after the news of Oscar Isaac uh, playing Solid Snake in the movie that's coming up. And so that's been kind of fun because a lot of people have been making the uh, joke on Reddit that Oscar Isaac will be Snake for like the first part of the movie. But then the second part will introduce uh, will introduce Owen Wilson as Raiden because that was kind of the bait and switch that happened for Metal Gear Solid 2. Then, of course, I also am watching New Mutants, but I'm only like halfway through it. It's 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 kind of a drag. Yeah, I've been wanting to watch New Mutants for the longest time, and then I didn't feel like I wanted to go to the movie theater. I didn't want that to be my risk, risk my life movie for the movie theater, but now it's on demand. So I guess I don't have any excuse anymore. Yep. Yeah, it is on demand. And I, I was trying to avoid it, but then I guess what I was trying to wait for was for it to become free on like Netflix or whatever, like for, for it to not be behind a paywall. But then I just got to a point where I was like, yes, you know, forget it. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and do the paywall and five bucks cheaper than a movie ticket. So I'll just watch it and, see what i think even though it's been pretty much critically panned but we'll see Uh, i'm about halfway through and yeah it it is pretty much a drag like not much interesting has happened up to this point Uh, as a slight letdown even though i kind of prepared myself for it not being good the reviews are kind of not in the the was it like in rotten tomatoes they're not fresh they are not and yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I think, I think, one, it was in development hell. And I think at some point, they, the, the, the creators just like lost the passion for the film. And it was just more like, well, we have a sunk cost fallacy thing here. We already spent so much money on it. We might as well finish and push it out. And that's pretty much why we got a crappy movie. And then, of course, it doesn't matter. Like, this is closing out the whole x-men universe in the movies or at least as we know it the the fox x-men universe so nothing that really happens in this movie matters like i'm like everybody could die and it just wouldn't matter because like there's there's not going to be a sequel in this continuity though now that i think about everything and with the spider-man 3 rumors about them bringing back um the old the other peter parkers like tony mcguire andrew garfield and then Jamie Foxx is supposed to be in the movie. So, man, maybe they could bring these characters back. Yeah, it definitely seems like, from what I'm reading, because Doctor Strange is supposed to be in that film. Like, he's confirmed to be a character in the film. And his movie before this is the Multiverse of Madness. I think that's what it's called. And it's going to really dive deeper into the concept of the multiverse. So I'm feeling like we're going to get a, a real-life version of the Spider-Verse 
uh, based on every, all the casting we've heard, because I think they even said they saw Alfred Molina, who was Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2, wandering around set. So who Do you knows? think Disney just like has these actors wander around set to throw us off? They're like, we're going to pay you. Just walk around for a day or two. Eat some craft services. You don't have to act. Just sit down, you know, be noticeable. And then you know, the rumors will fly. That's possible. Because in the past, Disney's been... So they're pretty good at hiding their facts, like by uh, by making multiple vers- versions of a script and distributing them, or people only get, like, one version or the version that has their parts in it, but they don't know the other parts and stuff like that. Uh, so that way, it's hard for anybody to accidentally leak it. But then they also do stuff where... People, yeah, people do look on the set and they're able to kind of piece together what's happening. I remember with Endgame, this was back in maybe 2017 when they were filming, because they filmed Endgame and, and Infinity War at the same time. People were leaking set photos of like Captain America uh, in his old uh, Avengers 1 uniform. And then people noticed they had these weird little bands on their hands so people started already thinking and this is before infinity war came out people were already thinking oh there must be a time travel part in here or something and so yeah maybe maybe that's how marvel's getting smarter they're just hiring random people to walk around like hey we'll give you twenty thousand dollars or whatever i don't know what the going rate is uh just to hang out and set you can eat some food and that's about all you need to do though he was so amazing as dr octopus so I would love to see him as that character again. I agree. It would be nice. And we do know for a fact or that Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro, or at least from everything I've read says that, because even Jamie Foxx has said it. So I guess we'll wind up seeing what winds up happening. Is Spider-Man 3 coming out in 2021, or is that a 2022 movie? I know they're filming right now. I think it's 2022. So I think if, if had COVID not happened and shut everything down, it's original launch date launch date would have been 2022. Uh, I don't know how COVID has affected that. Cause it seems like everything's effectively being pushed back a year. I, I don't know. I just, I'm ready for some, some new movies. I feel like that's my, my take since March is I'm ready for Marvel movies. So hopefully we'll get some. Yes, I'm really happy about the news from Warner Brothers about how every theatrical release they have in 2021 will also release on HBO Max at the same time. So that way you don't feel like you have to go to a theater to see it if you if it's unsafe or you feel unsafe doing that. So I, I really appreciate them doing that. Yeah, and it's uh, not it doesn't look like throwaway movies either. It's a uh, Kong versus or Godzilla versus Kong Suicide Squad. Uh, the new Conjuring movie, those are kind of blockbuster movies, so I'm excited to as an HBO Max subscriber. Yep, and I really wish they would do that with Disney. And doesn't I don't know? It just doesn't look like, aside from the Mulan launch, it doesn't really look like Disney has any plans of doing that. And I don't think the Mulan launch was all that successful, so that may have turned them off from doing it. I am gonna say that. Mulan wasn't the best movie. I don't know if it's fair to to grade everything off of that launch. True, but at the same time, that's you know Hollywood sometimes learns the wrong lessons in these 
situations, they might just say, oh, well, you know, it didn't do so well, so that means we're not going to want to see it or show it. But then, who knows, if Wonder Woman does well, that might compel them to release Black Widow or something on on uh, Disney+. Plus. True, and you don't have to pay anything extra. As long as you have HBO Max, you're good. You can watch Wonder Woman all you want yeah, for that one so month. When, who knows? The, people are already suggesting that the way theaters operate are going to change forever post-COVID. So I guess we'll have to see what winds up happening and what this leads to. I don't think this is the end of theaters. I hear a lot of kind of movie reporters saying that this could be the end of theaters, but not, once it's safe and once I feel safe going back to a theater, that's how I, I want to watch movies like Endgame or even Black Widow or an Iron Man movie or Wonder Woman. I want to see them on a really big screen. I want almost total darkness. I want popcorn in my hand. And I want a crowd of people who are just as hyped as me to see this movie. It's not the end of movie theaters. I think they might consolidate. Like, I don't think they'll be gone altogether, but I don't think it'll be the same as it was pre-COVID because I could see, like, for a single guy or maybe maybe a couple or a few friends or something, it's no big deal to go to theater, but I'm thinking of, like, families, like, you know, mom, dad, two kids, then you got to go get snacks and something. You know, going to see a movie at a theater is probably a $100 night when all is said and done, but... You can, or, you know, if you rent it at home, let's say they do like what they do with Mulan, 30 bucks a movie, then that, you know, you come out on top. True. I am surprised that we didn't get a whole bunch of drive-in theaters because, man, it would have been awesome to go see some current movies drive through wise. I, I would have definitely gone. Yes, drive-thru theaters did have a comeback, but I think they have a very limited space, like seating and and uh, recording times as well. Not recording times, but playing times versus other theaters. So, like drive-thru theaters usually have a screen or two, and so that would take up a lot of space. And then, of course, in order for it to be useful, you have only so many parking spots, so all of that would probably make it not worth it to the theater because they're like, oh, we won't get that many people watching it and they'd probably figure it'd be better to just dump it on VOD at that point. I mean, I guess the only people losing money is is the the theaters right now. Uh, I mean, Disney lost a ton of money this year, but... I mean, they'll be able to make it back with like... If Disney Plus does really well, if they can get some more content on that. Yeah, I mean, they'll eventually bounce back, but we'll wind up seeing. But, yeah, I can't can't wait for Wonder Woman, though. That's my Christmas movie. Same here. That's going to be my Christmas movie. Cool. Let's jump right into the, the episodes, then. How about we do that? Sounds good. Okay. Let's see here. So, I think this is episode 16 of the podcast. We're going to be covering episode 30 and episode 31. Episode 30 is called The Ishvalan War of Extermination. And both of these episodes were pretty heavy. And this episode was not Elric Brothers-centric at all. It was a lot of exposition. Basically, we see it open 
with a flashback of a younger Mustang uh, just as he is joining the military. So he had just signed up. He is a new recruit. And he goes to meet his mentor who taught him about alchemy and who is a gifted alchemist, gifted researcher. And naturally, his his mentor is not thrilled by his choice to choose the army because apparently army is very dismissive of people. Uh, You're essentially a tool for the army. And if you die, then, well, hey, sucks to be you kind of thing. And, of course, they tend to use their alchemy for bad versus good, uh, harming people versus helping people. So his mentor then starts to, you know, it's clear his mentor has some kind of health problems because he's in the bed and then he's he sounds achy. And he he kind of sounds like he knows he's at the end. And so he starts to die, uh, coughing up blood. He's like in his last moments. And he asks Mustang to look after his daughter as she has his research. So we learn that this man is... A Hawkeye, so he is Riza's father. We then see Mustang and Riza visiting the grave of her father. Mustang reiterates that he is joining the military because he wants to make the country a better place, and the country is a military-led government, so that would be the best place to do it. Uh, we learn that she was given flame alchemy. We see like a tattoo on her back of uh, what looks like an alchemic symbol, and so that's the flame alchemy uh, that she knows. And she shared that knowledge with Mustang and only Mustang, so that's why we only ever see Mustang doing Flame Alchemy. Risa steps out of her place, and she sees that Ed is there. Ed talks about how he didn't use the gun, yet how Winry was about to kill Scar with the gun, and Ed thinks that if he didn't do anything, she would have probably gone through with it. Uh, But Ed ultimately feels kind of useless, like he wasn't able to protect her, he wasn't able to help her, he wasn't able to really do anything. But Riza says he needs to stay alive, he needs to learn to fight another day in order to protect Winry. Then they start kind of of having, you know, a, a conversation about protecting people, what it means being a soldier. Ed asks if her duty of protecting people seems like a burden, and then she says that she lost the right to see it because she has killed way too many people. Uh, this leads to a conversation about the Ishvalan Civil War. We jump back to Marco and Scar talking in the prison cell. Scar wants to hear everything about what happened to his people. Basically, we get the exposition between both Marco talking to Scar and Riza talking to Ed. And what we wind up learning is that Ishval was not always part of of uh, Amestris. It was annexed, conquered, if you will, colonized, whatever term you want to use. And there are a lot of religious zealots that live there. And once Amestris annexed it, a group of them grew really upset, and that number grew and grew and grew. Once that girl was killed, that was kind of the tipping point where everybody got really angry and a civil war broke out over it. And the Civil War lasted for about seven years. This was until the Fuhrer declared the Ishvalan extinction, or the the extermination of the Ishvalans. So the military, rather than just trying to slow down or or calm the riots, calm the violence, they're just going to get rid of the Ishvalans altogether. Riza being a sniper, she killed people directly. 
She isn't firing randomly into a field, hoping to hit a target like other soldiers would. She sees her target, she chooses to kill them, and she can often see their faces before she does it. That gave the military an unfair advantage. On top of that, the stake alchemists gave the military another major advantage. We see how different state alchemists were very helpful in the killing of millions or at least thousands of Ishvalans. We, in this flashback, we see Hughes and Mustang run to each other on the battlefield. They're upset at what they have been commanded to do. They're making comments about how each other have become killers. They wanted to make the nation a greater place, but clearly they aren't because they're clearing their own people. Then we see Riza in the battlefield, and now Mustang is upset because she has the eyes of a killer now, so even she was corrupted by all of this. And then we see another alchemist named Kimberly, who is kind of just reveling in the whole idea. He, he thinks, hey, this is a war. We're soldiers. We're told to kill. That's what we do. He, he seems a little bit of a psychopath, if you will. Marco then mentions what he was brought to do in the war. He was brought in to help make a Philosopher's Stone with his medical team. They use the Asphalans as raw materials for the work. When you look at the flashback, you notice that Marco seems terrified at what he is seeing. And I think this is what's the breaking point for him and makes him flee the military. Scar, of course, is angry to hear this, that his own people were being used to create a Philosopher's Stone. And he wants to know what happened to that stone. Well, Marco mentions that the stone was given to Kimberly, that alchemist we saw earlier. Kimberly is known as the Crimson Alchemist. He is incredibly destructive. He essentially is like a living bomb. And Scar realizes that the Crimson Alchemist, this Kimberly guy, was the exact same person who attacked him and ultimately caused him to lose his arm, his family, his brother, all of that. Kimberly now has a stone, and that greatly enhances his alchemy. The Isvalans were outnumbered and slaughtered, so in order to stop all the craziness, the high priest of Ishval met with the Fuhrer. He offered his life in exchange for his people. The Fuhrer, the, excuse me, the Fuhrer mocks him because he is one person. He is not worth thousands of people, so one life for one life. And he, he mocks him as being arrogant, thinking that his life is worth all the lives of the Ishvalans. The other Ishvalans who are in this meeting then start cursing the Fuhrer, say that they'll be punished by God. The Fuhrer then mocks them and says, you know, their views on God is broken. Like, why has why is God waiting so long to punish me? When is he going to do it? You guys keep saying that God's going to bring justice, but he doesn't. And then he asks why it's God not helping them right now. Why are they getting slaughtered? He, that God is just something made up. We move a little further, we see that all of this seems to be a turning point for Mustang. He still wants to change the world, but he needs to come up with a better plan. Riza decides to stay in the military because she wants to keep protecting people. After this experience with Ishval, she realizes that, you know, this is the best way she has to protect people and help people and make up for her sins. Mustang makes Riza his assistant because he needs somebody he can trust, and he asks her to shoot him if he ever deviates from the plan. Riza mentions to Ed that the overall plan of Mustang is to become the Fuhrer. Once he has the Fuhrer, 
he will be able to dissolve the military state and give power back to the parliament and make it a democracy again. Once this happens, all of the people who were responsible for the Ishvalan civil war will be punished. Uh, we brought up on war crimes. Uh, Ed is not happy to hear this because he says, well, hey, the homunculi are the ones who are behind all of this. They're the real puppet masters. But Riza says, you know, yeah, that's true, but we still killed people and, and we followed orders. Riza tells Ed to just worry about himself for now and not what they're up to. Worry about him and Alphonse getting their bodies back. We now see Alphonse with Dr. Knox back in his house. May thanks Alphonse for saving her. Alphonse formally introduces himself to her and how he lost his body and that the armor is his actual body. May mutters to herself about how he must look just like Edward in real life. Al takes exception with this and says that he is much taller, better fighter, friendlier face, and of course is a gentleman. Now it seems like May has fallen in love with the idea of Alphonse. Credits roll, we get the post credit scene with Envy entering Marco's cell, and upon entering we see a dead body with the head blown off and vengeance written on the wall in blood. So a lot happened here. I want to hear your thoughts. My initial thought is... The more we dive into this war, the kind of the more, I guess, toll we see that it's taken on people, which is interesting because, like, I guess normally my first thought would be, like, we get more Hughes in this episode. You know how much I love Hughes showing up, and it's great, even though, you know, we lost him a while back. It, it's interesting seeing him and then uh, I guess this is before he got married and how Mustang uh, says kind of one of the first things he says is mm-hmm. you have killer eyes now, which is just uh, I guess you could take it as I think most of the time when you tell someone they have like the eyes of a killer, it's more of a menacing eyes. But I feel like in this case, when Mustang says that to uh Hawkeye and Hughes, it's more of a, like a sad, sad eye. Like you, you have a, the eyes of someone who's done something they regret. That that was exactly how I took it. Like not as, oh, you look psychopathic. You look like you're going to murder people. He just, he looks like somebody who's had to kill a lot of people and feel really bad about it. Like that was kind of the, the gist I got. And, you know, they always talk about this, like in, in real war, they talk about how you can see people who are, who have spent time in the battlefield, you can see that loss of innocence in them after they've been there for a while. So I think that's kind of what they're touched upon. Yeah, and then, I guess it was last episode where I talked about, I thought that Armstrong left the war to go back to Central, because he couldn't handle it. But, it looks like Armstrong stayed because he is he he's the one that made that giant wall that yeah. trapped the Shvalans in. Well, I think I maybe believe. there's just a little time lapse there, so I think that happened before that scene we saw in the previous episode. And yeah, so I think yeah, because I think he looked okay. regretful because he made the wall, and then we hear the soldiers shooting the Shvalans because now they're cornered because he just makes this wall appear out of nowhere. And then, you know, he hears the scream and stuff. And then we see in his face that he is just 
like terrified at everything uh, that's going on. And I think that's like the breaking point. And then we see later where he's really upset and yeah, like just wanting to leave and he's holding the dead kid. And I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing one of the, the dead kid that we saw in that other episode was probably one of those kids who was shot at the wall is my guess anyway. Okay. Cause I thought that dead kid was the, the catalyst dead kid that started this all. So I thought, that Armstrong left at the beginning of the war. So, but you could tell that he is not wanting to do what he is doing. Uh, you could see like the heartache in his face as, as he has to trap these people in and knowing what, what their fate is. Exactly. He did not like it. I mean, I think we're starting to see this other side of war, this other side of life. This anime is showing us that you don't really see in a lot of things where, these people, I guess just the complexity of Mustang and everybody is what's really sitting out to me. It's like they killed people. They know they've killed people. Mustangs knows he's burnt people alive. He's mentioned in previous episodes how, you know, he can still smell the burning flesh and he knows what the smell of burning flesh smells like and all of that. Like he knows he's murdered people. He knows he's murdered innocent people. He became disillusioned by it all, yet he still stays in the military because his thoughts aren't, I want to kill more people as much as I want to rise to the ranks so that I can end this this policy, this way of life. So just the, the depth that is seen there versus what, we, what you would see in other shows, like it, it's showing that war, like war isn't this black and white thing where we see the other side is pure evil or something like a lot of times a lot of those foot soldiers are just that they're soldiers they don't really have much say other than i I mean i guess yeah you can argue they can just leave the military or whatnot but yeah i I guess it's showing that it's more complicated than we think yeah and then yeah and you get that in the beginning of the episode too with mustang and his teacher i guess his teacher's on his deathbed almost and they're discussing everything and his teacher says, I regret teaching you knowing that you're, you're going to use these gifts to go into the military. Kind of like he has some insight already to, uh, maybe the corruption of the military has already, but it, I loved that scene. Cause, uh, at the end he calls him Hawkeye and it's just kind of like, Oh wow. That's Reese's father. I, I found that so interesting that his teacher was uh, her father. Yeah, it kind of shows how deep the relationship is, really. Yeah, and uh, to have his research tattooed on her back, it was very interesting. It reminded me of uh, Scar's brother and his arms. Yeah, I think that probably was kind of, not necessarily that he was thinking of following Scar, but I think the thought was... Like, if he made it a piece of paper, if he put it in a book or something, somebody would find it. You know, he didn't want this research to get to the military because he specifically says if it winds up going to the military, it's going to be used for evil. And it is a very destructive alchemy. Uh, So I think he figured he wanted to hide it somewhere where the average person wouldn't see it or even know what it was if they happened to see it. And so, yeah, having it tattooed on Reese's back was his solution. Because I guess he also, I guess you could argue, well, why not just let the 
research die with you, but I think he mentioned as an alchemist, you know, his how important research is and something. So I don't think he really could have put himself in a place where he felt like he can do, he can just throw it away, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's very interesting. And then, so he never taught Mustang that style of alchemy. Mustang learned it from, I guess, Reese's back. That's what it's implied. And I think that is accurate. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's accurate because, Riza says he's going to share it with her. And yeah, I, I think that is, I think he wanted him to learn from Riza because he said that she had the research. Like he could have just said nothing if he didn't want her to ha- want him to have it at all. So we see like him start with saying, oh yeah, he has the, uh, yeah, he has the, she has the research and then he asks her about it and then she says she's fine with sharing it. So. Yes, it's uh, it's interesting. It, it adds another layer to their relationship um, that it goes kind of back even further than knowing each other in academy or or whatnot. Kind of goes before he even was in the military. So she's seen him kind of before he's been jaded. Yep. Yeah, they might have a very. Um... It almost seems like they have a similar relationship to what Ed and Winry have, maybe. Well, probably because she, uh, I don't know if it's accusing Ed or just laying out the truth that Ed is in love with Winry, which uh, makes him spit spit his coffee out onto that poor dog, which I found hilarious, but, yes. you know, I guess she, if anyone said now, it's her. Yeah, my thoughts were pretty, like, even as viewers of it, it's pretty obvious to us as the viewers that, that he has some kind of feeling for her. Uh, and I think it's this is kind of showing that it's obvious to everybody else, too. And then he's just in denial about it. Yeah, I, you could tell he, he cares about her a lot. Especially last episode when she was threatened and uh, how that kind of changed his whole demeanor of how he was going to approach everything. And I I think he sees in uh, Hawkeye and Mustang's relationship that you can't have two really strong people. Like, you can protect each other. It doesn't have to be one person always protecting the other. And maybe he's going to realize that Winry is stronger than he thinks she is. I think so. But yeah, like this episode's great because we talked about kind of how, you know, Killer's eyes were just like sad eyes. Then we get this other character, Kimberly, who has, I would say, killer eyes as well. But in the act of like, he enjoys killing. I think that was an interesting juxtaposition because we did see the soldier who seems to be enjoying killing a little too much, Kimberly. Like he he seems to get a sick joy out of it compared to the other soldiers who in that conversation are to, are kind of questioning whether or not they are yeah, whether or not they are fighting the real war or what they're fighting for, why are they killing their own people, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, the others, Hughes, Mustang, Hawkeye, are trying to find sense in all of this. 
it seems like Kimberly uses the war, this declaration to justify what he kind of wanted to do all along. Probably. That's probably it. You know, the more I think of it, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. This, this reminds me of a song by Dispatch called The General, where it talks about a, a general who, you know, he he, he goes to war and essentially he gets very he, disillusioned and starts to realize that they're fighting for nothing and they're killing innocent people and stuff. So he tells everybody to just leave and save their souls and their innocence while he just stays here and takes the heat from, uh, from the commanders. So that really just seems very reminiscent to be honest. Yeah. It just, uh, it's, it's, you, it's a great episode cause you get to see both sides. Yeah. Kind of, uh, just this like people who are seeing, I guess for the first time, the corruption of the military and what they're being forced to do. And then the flip side of, the people who are relishing this and this is kind of what they were, they were meant to do. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Oh, I 100% agree. But also I think we also, we see this turning point that really drives who Mustang is, who Riza is, who uh, Armstrong is, who all these other people are like this war is what made them decide to change things from the inside. In the scene where the high priest goes to talk to uh, Fear Bradley and offers his life in exchange for all the people's lives, and then Bradley is almost mocking him that his life is not, nothing more than just another life. It's like one life for He truly believes in equivalent exchange. And you see Hughes is there. I wonder if Hughes had... Uh, an idea already because this is kind of heartless listening to the fear say this to to someone that your life is meaningless and we're still going to wipe out all your people i wonder if that's a moment where hughes starts questioning everything because i don't think hughes knew about bradley being a homunculus yeah well at that point he didn't i don't think you know i think he there's a good chance he died without knowing it. I think Hughes knew that Bradley was up to no good. But yeah, I don't know if he knew that he was actually hum- a homunculi. Or at that point, I don't know if Hughes even knew what a homunculi was, to be honest. Yeah, I just... I I feel like if that moment would have sowed that seed of kind of doubt in the Fuhrer's leadership, and then Mustang comes in, and then the brothers come in, and it kind of spurs him on to, because you see uh, in the episode where he dies that he's kind of taking his own initiative to kind of go in and do his own research, which uh, leads to his demise. Yeah, that is ultimately, it seems like Hughes definitely was the first one to figure out exactly what was corrupt. We don't know what he found out, but it was clear that looking through the military records, he found something and was killed for it, so... Yeah, I think I think maybe seeing that action is what really made him question things. Yeah, and in this episode, we get to see a philosopher's stone be made firsthand, which was I don't know, I guess kind of what I was expecting it to to look like, but kind of not expecting it to look like. 
not the philosopher stone itself, but the process of yeah, it. Yeah, they, they essentially just put a bunch of Ishvalan bodies on the points of this transmutation circle, and we hear gunshots, so I think they kill some of them and then leave some of them alive, because I guess there has to be a blood sacrifice involved or something. And then, yeah, they just kind of do the transmutation and pull their souls out of their body, and in the center of a circle, we see a stone. And it's and they give it to Kimberly, which is it it makes sense, but it also baffles me because Kimberly seems like such a loose cannon, and to give someone such a powerful weapon as a loose cannon, you just never know what they're gonna do. I think that's probably exactly why they gave it to him was so that he would just he would probably be the most effective at destroying his fall. And and he did. He uh, wiped out everyone. Yeah, he he had very destructive powers. I do. This was a really heavy episode, so I loved how it ended with May falling in love with Al. Yep, very true. We we now see uh, that she has gotten over Edward and is now one hundred percent in in love with the idea of Al. I hope. Al comes back. If he does retrieve his body, I don't know. I think it'd be funny for me to see kind of the the shriveled Al body that we saw last episode or a couple episodes ago. And I I don't know. I don't want her heart to be broken all the time. But the way she reacted with uh, Ed was pretty hilarious. So I wouldn't mind seeing that one more time. I agree. That would be very funny. On that note, maybe we should jump into, or unless you have other thoughts, yeah, we can ready jump to go into in. the next episode. All right. So the next episode, 520 cents project. Oh, sorry. 520 cents promise episode 31. So Envy is angry that Marco is gone. He figures that it must've been Scar, but then he notices that one of the Chimera dogs is missing. Ed leaves Riza and Isa Warren, or sorry, Ed now leaves Riza, and Ed warns Riza that Scar is around and asks Riza to tell Mustang. Ed thanks Riza for telling him about his fall. Ed and Al reunite, and they kind of debrief on everything Ed learned about his fall and whatnot. They start thinking about getting their bodies back, and then Ed mentions that when their alchemy wasn't working, it wasn't working for anybody, like even those on the surface. So... They start thinking about Scar and May and how their their uh, alchemy was working just fine. And so they figure that there must be some knowledge there that gives them some hope that maybe this strange alchemy that they use can be used to get their bodies back. So they call and they realize that May has left and no one knows where she went. So they decide to search for her. They figure, hey, if we can find uh, find her cat as they put it Xiaomei they could find everything uh, they could find her we catch up with Mustang's men Breda drops off some uh, arm weights for Havoc as a gift so that he can you know kind of keep in shape and he mentions that he is heading westward we then see Fallman bump into Fury Fallman has a gift a a chest set Uh, he is going to have to head up to the north while Fury heads to the south And then Riza checks in on Mustang, and they have a small casual chat. Riza asks Mustang not to get killed because she can't protect him anymore. We see Mustang kind of look around his room and just nothing but empty desks as all of his people are gone. 
He then opens the chess set that was delivered to him by Fallman, and he kind of does this juxtaposition where he thinks about all the pieces, pawn, rook, uh, knight, all of that, and he thinks about them as his people and how they took away all of his people from him, but he is not in a checkmate yet. He picks up the king piece, and he pulls out a small piece of paper, a hidden note. Ed and Al are wandering around looking for Xiao Mei, and they figure if they find her, you know, they can find Mei. While they're searching, Mustang rolls up on them and drives them around. Mustang asks Ed for his money back, the 520 cents. And Ed says he will hold on to the coins and pay him back when he becomes Fuhrer. This reveals to Mustang that Ed is in on his plans. Ed mentions that Riza filled him in on everything. Ed says that he'll keep the money and he'll pay it back uh, as Mustang makes more changes to the country. So he'll uh, he'll pay back that money, then he'll borrow more money and then pay that money back when Mustang makes it a democracy, so on and so forth. Ad and L head home, they see Fu, while Mustang heads to a bar and sees a woman named Madam Christmas. He hands her the piece of paper and Madam Christmas calls General Grumman back in the east. The brothers and Fu go back to Dr. Knox's house. Fu scolds Lan Fan for losing her arm and slaps her, and of course is mad that Ling is missing and has become greed. Knox stops him from slapping her a second time, and Fu just kind of breaks down over the fact that she lost the arm. That's all, that seems to be what's really upsetting him. Ed mentions that he would help him find an automail mechanic, but Fu declines. He didn't want to put Ed's friend at risk by having them help the quote-unquote enemy, since now their enemy knows what Lan Fon's face looks like. Fu and Lan Fon thank Dr. Knox for all of their help, and they head out, and they hope that they could find Ling because the Emperor's health is declining and he might be dead soon. We jump back to Knox, and he's in his empty house. He's just sitting on the couch, smoking, and he flashes back to when he was dissecting bodies, but then he also flashes back to more recent times when May thanked him for curing her. And of course, Lan Fan and Fu thanked him. And he's just kind of mocking them for just like, oh, you guys treated me like I was a real doctor. He hears a knock at his door and it's his adult son and his estranged wife. Knox is a bit aloof about it, and he's, you know, talking about, hey, I, you know, I'm, I recently had some uh, living patients here, so that was a nice change. His son mentions that he wants to become a doctor. Uh, he knows that Knox was haunted by what he had to do in Ishval, yet despite that, Knox was still, at his core, a good doctor, had a good heart, and wanted to help people out, and this is inspiring his son to be a doctor, and his son even says, I love you to Knox. So Knox is taken aback a little bit, and he invites them in and makes some coffee. In the background, we hear his wife and son start cleaning the house, and as he prepares coffee, we get kind of an emotional moment where he starts to cry, and he he asks God, like, hey, I know I'm not a good guy, but can you just give me a break and let me enjoy this one good moment with my family? We cut to the prison cell where Kimberly's being kept. We flash back to where he was in his fall, and he met with his superiors at the end of the war. They ask for the Philosopher's Stone back, but he instead swallows it. Since they are the only people who know about it and know that he has it at this point in time, he proceeds to kill them. This is ultimately why he's in prison. 
Kimberly is being released from prison now. The prison guard and warden hate that Kimberly are being released, but, you know, it's, they can't do anything about it. The government's releasing him. Kimberly shakes the warden's hand and places a bomb on his wrist, but when the bomb explodes, it turns out to just be a toy. Kimberly is waved into a car, and it turns out that Envy and the homunculi are the ones who arranged his release. They believe that Marco isn't dead, and he is yet on the run. Marco's specialty is transmuting living tissue, so he may have used the chimera to make something that looks like a human, and then Scar just blew up the head and make it look convincing. So they think Scar broke him out. They figure that Kimberly would enjoy hunting down and finding Scar because he is an Isfallen, and Kimberly would like to make sure that he had killed all the Isfallens. They also wanted to grab Marco, but not kill Marco, of course. They then want... Kimberly to destroy Marco's village to send a message to Marco after he's captured him. They give Kimberly a new stone that was actually made for Marco's assistance, not uh, not Ishvalin's. We see Scar and Marco in what looks like an alleyway behind a building. Scar let Marco survive because, one, he wanted to know more about Kimberly, but two, he also wanted to get Marco's help in deciphering his brother's notes. His brother said that there was something strange about the alchemy in Amestris, and now Scar really wants to know what that means. Mei Chang joins them. Scar mentions that Marco made a Philosopher's Stone, and Mei asks to know the secret. Scar tells her that it is a terrible thing, and he uh, she should just not ask about it. Scar then uses his alchemy to ruin the surface of Marco's face and asks Mei to heal it. Uh, this ultimately is going to disfigure him, but make it easier to conceal Marco's identity. And then they head to where Scar hid the research notes, the North. And the episode ends. So even more exposition with other characters that aren't the Elrics. And I think this showed uh, a lot, but I want to hear your thoughts. My thought is Kimberly has two stones now. And I wonder if Envy knows or the other homunculus know that Kimberly still has the first stone. Oh, they absolutely do know that he has the first stone because Envy says something like when Kimberly, I guess he swallows it and then he regurgitates it when he's going to use it. And he regurgitates the stone in the back seat. And then uh, Envy makes that comment of, yeah, that stone probably doesn't have enough power to destroy a village. So here's another one. Oh, I must have missed that part. I just, it's interesting that that stone that Kimberly started off with must have had so much power because it did demolish a whole city and he still had enough. I guess he was holding on to it thinking that there was enough juice in it to still do a lot more. And now he's got another one and I don't know. Interesting things are happening. Yeah. That's one of the big things that I noticed that apparently Kimberly is their hitman, so to speak. And he didn't seem at all disturbed by the fact that Envy, you know, shapeshifted from being a soldier to being Envy to shapeshifting back to being a soldier. It's almost as if he knew who he was. Yeah. Yeah. Envy, Envy is confusing to me. Uh, I don't, there are points where I think Envy is on one side and then I think he flips to a different side, but I don't know. I, do, I don't definitely have a lockdown on who Envy is for me just yet. 
Yeah. I definitely think Envy is just serving father and he does whatever, uh, whatever expedites their goals. So Kimberly is a useful tool to him for a lot of reasons. And so that's why he's being nice to him. But otherwise I don't think he cares. True. I, though I do feel like I see envy at moments when he's separated from everyone that maybe there is some kind of other piece to him, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just seeing things because like greed had his own personality, his own thoughts and his own, desires of what he wanted to do i we haven't seen that really much in any other character yeah he definitely well i mean i guess you could also see that we see a lot of different behaviors and say greed and a few others but yeah envy definitely seems to have his own i don't want i don't know if i'd say thing going but he he does seem to be kind of all over the place because sometimes he seems to hate humans but then other times he seems to be all right with them uh, yes, and I did think Marco was dead at the beginning of this episode. I thought, after what we found out last episode, uh, from what he told Scar, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Scar just ended him right there. Especially after learning that he's the one who made the Philosopher's Stone, and what the price of the Philosopher's Stone costs. Yeah, I definitely... I agree, because that does seem like something Scar would want to do. Uh, seeing as he has been a person who has just killed homunculi, or not homunculi, killed state alchemist with no regard. I mean, he was even willing to kill a boy, Edward Elric, you know, who's, what, 15, 16 at this time, just because he was a state alchemist. So, yeah, it would be perfectly normal, or it'd make perfect sense that Scar would want to kill Marco and I think there he's banking on the fact that that other people would think that too that way they would just assume that Marco was killed rather than Marco had escaped. Yes, it seems like Scar's kind of getting I don't want to say he's getting smarter cuz I think he's always been smart, but he's kind of changing his tactics uh, after some reveals about the truth about how the war actually started, who shot the kid, uh, finding out he's he's peeling back these layers and he's seeing that it's not just state alchemist it goes deeper and now he doesn't need to kill everyone he needs to use some people to get to what he truly like his true revenge yeah yep i think that's a good point i think he realizes especially after fighting with father i think he realizes that this whole thing is way deeper than he expected and he's going to have to make some unconventional allies in order to get the answers that he wants true and speaking of allies it looks like team mustang is still very loyal to each other um especially like hearing each other talk to one another as they interact kind of like we're going away for a little bit but we're gonna get back together so just be ready for when we all reunite because the plan is still in motion. Yeah, that would be, that would definitely be, I guess, a big part of it there. Hmm. And then I always, do you think that Mustang knew about the chess set already? 
Because I definitely would have not tried to unscrew the bottom of a chess piece. I think he did because, and, and he, we saw exactly who he wanted to contact too. Because he went to Madam Christmas and made a specific request. My theory is like that's how he and Grumman have been secretly communicating with each other this whole time. Because we see in one of the earlier episodes, he and Grumman are playing chess with each other. So my guess is like that they're, you know, they, they're they chess fans or whatever. And nobody would suspect like, oh, Mustang's getting a chess set from Grumman. That makes total sense. So it was just a secret way for them to send messages. I do. I like that a lot that there are still people in the military that Mustang can trust that are not in his core group that he's assembled. Though I say that now and like three episodes later, we get a massive betrayal. I'm hoping not because I am liking this kind of uh, covertness of what's going on with Mustang's team. Cause it's great. I love seeing the alchemy. I love seeing the big battles, but it's kind of cool seeing all this spy stuff going down too. Yeah. Yeah, Mustang and the team, they have to kind of keep things on the DL because they like they seem to be outsiders because it seems to be there's the soldiers who are just foot soldiers and they're just kind of blind. Like they have no idea what's going on in the military. They're just being loyal to their nation. Then, of course, there are all the people who are towards the top who are corrupt and are in on everything and whatnot. So he only has a handful of people he can trust. And so he can't risk you know, things being passed along or his messages being intercepted and people knowing what's happening. Cause then that might put other people he cares about at risk because he's, you know, he's been warned the, the Fuhrer and father and all of them know that he is up to something. So he can't risk being caught. And I'm, I'm super interested in kind of this, this bar that he goes to and who Madam Christmas is, um, I don't. There's another anime I watch, and uh, you actually got me hooked on this. It's called Fairy Tale, and there's a character in that called is Master Bob. And when I saw Madam Christmas, I was like, again, the same vibes. <laughs> so I want more Madam Christmas. I mean, maybe it's uh, drawn by the same person. I know that some of the same voice actors are shared between the two series. So hey, who knows? Maybe there's a lot of other things that are shared. I definitely hope we get more of this uh, this bar or a nightclub, and because it's it's like a really cool underground. We're sending messages to each other thing, and I, I'm definitely loving this flip side of uh, more spy stuff going down. Yeah, great. They need to figure out what's going on and how to fix it and what to do with it. To me, the big standout moment, and it was subtle, but it was there. And I don't think it's something we should overlook was Dr. Knox's arc this whole time. So like he just seems like a crotchety old man. But I think what he really is, is he's just very disillusioned because of all the sins that he had to do or all the things that he had to do. And I think he's he's in this point where he believes that he doesn't deserve happiness. Like that's what I kind of feel like is that's the vibe I get from him is that he feels like he deserves to be punished for all of the bad things he's done because he's just very grouchy. And then when anybody compliments him or congratulates him or whatever, he just, he takes it really poorly, all of that stuff. 
So seeing that, like, hey, he got to he got to help people and they were grateful, and then seeing his family come and be proud of him for being such a great guy and just all of the stuff that he that differed from what we saw before we just threw the picture of his family away because he's like hey i'm estranged from them there's a part of me that wonders if like maybe he wasn't as estranged as he thought maybe he thought he didn't deserve them and left them as a result because they didn't seem to be as mad at him as you would think so i think seeing him or seeing him like tear up and say, Hey, I need to deserve a break. I need to have some time with my family and stuff. It just, I think that just showed a huge character arc and the growth of a person who I think believed he was, he was undeserving of love because of the atrocities he was forced to do, but yet he is still a good man uh, and whatnot. And he's starting to do the right thing. I like that that take a lot. You kind of I think the Ishfallen War took a toll on a, all the characters that were involved. And you see Mustang, Armstrong Hughes, Hawkeye, those characters that were in the war, and you saw what took a toll on them during the war in the last episode. But you see them be able to kind of move on to almost a normal life, and I believe that's because they still have things to do they're soldiers and they're in the military and they're still working they're still going on missions they still have uh stuff that that needs to be taken care of they have different tasks but with Knox and you could say with marco as well their job kind of stopped at the war and then like that's where it stopped and they have to live with that moment forever because it's like the war up to the moment and now what do they do they're kind of just letting that consume their whole life. So with the brothers bringing the two, uh, uh, Jing, like La, was it La Fan and uh, May in to help for uh, Knox to help them. I think it, it, that was him being able to move on. He's, he now realized he can do more and you could see that little spark when his family came and it's, wife and son and he he told them what he's been doing and they you can see that joy in their face because i think that they know that he's now trying to move on yeah i think and again this is another reason why i love the anime they are really showing the toll war takes on people so yes we are definitely getting the bad side of genocide and how it has displaced people and the Ishvalans are living in slums, are living in Xerxes, and just random places, those who are alive. And a lot of them who are alive are also injured, maybe missing an eye, missing an arm, stuff like that. So we see that side. But then we also see the toll it takes on the veterans and stuff, like the, the people who were, quote-unquote, on our side, who we sent off to fight and do this. We We get to see kind of the emotional and mental toll it takes on people. And you know, everything I noticed seemed to point to the fact that that his family didn't hate him as much as he thought they did. My guess is maybe he thought he was undeserving of love. And, I'm, and I wonder, you know, how many veterans come back from, from real life wars feeling the same way. Like, oh, I took the life of 
you know, a 15 year old boy, but he, I mean, I know he had a gun on me, but he had a, I, I took his life and I'm a monster and stuff. You know, I, I like that the, that the show really tries to capture a lot of that. Definitely. I think it kind of goes back to, to almost like Winfrey's parents uh, with Knox and like they're doctors and they want to save lives, but it seems like he was almost told to do the opposite while he was during the war, he's he's not able to save people's lives, and that took a toll on him. So now that he's gotten a chance to save this girl's life by uh, helping her recover from her amputated arm, which was amputated in a sewer, as he mentioned, but he took care of her, and she's up and and running. And before his family comes to meet him, her and her grandfather, which I didn't know that. They were related. Did they? They must. Did they say that before this episode? And I missed it. Or uh, I think when we first meet them, they mention it. Ah, I must have. I must have glanced over that because I was surprised at that moment. But for them to thank him for saving her life and that she wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him, really, kind of, I guess, gives him a new perspective. We can even see with Doctor Marco. Uh, back when we first met him, he was trying to help people. The these two, uh, Knox and Margo, are trying to redeem their uh, their past mistakes. It's like uh, I don't want to go back to like a Marvel thing, like we were talking about. But it's like Black Widow, and she's trying to to take the red out of her ledger. Like that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to move on, and I hope this this is good for Knox. That I hope. He be, he gets his house clean. His family moves in because his son is inspired to be a doctor because of him. And I hope that he gets the happy, happy moment. And I hope it lasts longer than just one moment. One cup of coffee. I agree 100%. Like this was definitely one of those feels moments that you get where it just pulls at your heartstrings. And to me, it was the... I don't know. Like to me, it was definitely the high point of the episode, if you will. Yeah. It's cause I feel like for me, at least it's, it just doesn't feel like any of our characters are, are getting any happiness right now. I felt like Winry was kind of getting some happiness, but then we dropped the bombshell of how our parents truly died. But it feels like with Knox, this is a moment where we can actually have a character that can have a happy ending and you know, we can leave him at that and then we move on with our story, but Knox is happy and he's moving on with his life. I, mm-hmm. that for me is what I want. That is absolutely right. He is moving on with his life or he is, he's not moving on with his life so much as he is starting. Like he is starting to see, I guess from my perspective, it's like, I don't think that that one moment is like, saved him as much but i think i started to see that he can move past and he can start being happy again and yeah 100 i like that yeah if we don't see Knox ever again i'll be fine because i want to live in this moment and in my mind i think it's continuing so if we don't see Knox, i'm like he's doing well and that's why we're not seeing him he's staying out of trouble and him and his wife and son are just living a great life unlike marco who now has his face burned off 
Yeah, I think, I guess it makes sense that they burned it off to make sure that nobody recognizes him. But it's also like, people are looking for Scar, so they're going to recognize him as well. So there's also like a small part of me that wonders if that was just Scar's way of punishing him without killing him. Though, I feel like Marco wants to die. It seemed that way when he first bumped into Scar. And it, it doesn't... It's In my mind, Marco feels like the only way out is through death. Yeah, I think that's he feels that's the only thing that is fair. Because he was responsible for so many deaths that the only, the only thing that is fair is for him to die as well. But what we learned is that Scar now realizes that he can use... Use thing like use people as tools, not in the, like a bad sense, but he needs people to help him complete his mission. And Marco is one of those people who can help him translate his brother's research. Yeah, I guess that's. I guess that's going to. We're going to. We're seeing growth in Scar as well. That he's just not blatantly killing people, and yeah, he's starting to. He's. I think his head's starting to clear. Yeah, it's no more kind of blindly revenge. He's honed his revenge in, and I think he wants to, because if he just kills all the state alchemists, that's just kind of the surface level of it all, and it's not really the actual root of what happened to all the Ishvalans, and I don't, I mean, yes, I think he cares about his people, but I think the main root of it is his brother and parents' death. So he wants to get to, like, who truly killed them. I think that's what's driving him now. Like I mentioned earlier, I think he is, he's starting to realize that this is way deeper than just a few soldiers, uh, gifted soldiers in the state alchemist killing his family and stuff. And there's just, there's some really deep conspiracy going on. Like, I think once he saw Father and Envy and all the other homunculi, he realized that this was more than just a corrupt government. There's something really deep going on. And I think maybe what his brother said about there being something weird about the alchemy in this country, he kind of he pieced it together and he starts to realize, yeah, there is definitely something up. And the only way I'm going to be able to get to the bottom of it is by going through my brother's research and I need a gifted alchemist. I do wonder because... May is going with them. If this is going to lead the brothers that way too, are they going to be able to, in their hunt to track her down, are they going to follow Scar into this? And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because it doesn't seem like Scar wants to kill Ed right now. I mean, maybe he still wants to murder him, but it seems like right now they're willing to work together. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess we'll see, but I do think, yeah, we, we, we're going to see probably some kind of unity between them happening as a result of all this. Like, if they, you know, yeah, May is with them. The brothers are looking for May. I think that's going to be the inevitability of how they wind up running into each other again. So I'm excited to see that. And then I, I, I need more backstory on Kimberly. Kimberly knows about the homunculate, I, the greed and or not greed, envy and all them. And I wanted to know how far back that goes. He, he must have known them before he went to jail. Yeah, I think so. Maybe that's why they chose him. Like maybe when they chose him to be the, the bearer of the philosopher's stone, they kind of let him in on some of the country's secrets. Like, like I say, every episode, the more I feel like I'm getting to the end of this, like 
the yarn that I'm pulling on, the more I see like there's so much mm-hmm. more slack. Yeah, there's. It's like every episode they introduce like a hundred new concepts, or as we get clarity on some things, they reel you in with more things that they've introduced. Yeah, it's for every answer you get, you get five more questions. <laughs> yeah, but I'm loving it. I'm, I'm like, give me more. I can't wait to see what happens next and how they, how, what happens with Kim Lee, what happens with Scar, if the brothers make it to where they're going, and yeah, how everything kind of coalesces and basically how they're going to deal with this whole conflict going on in the country, this corruption. Yes, and I want to try Winry's apple pie. Seeing that pie makes me want apple pie. <laughs> yeah, me too. Cool. Uh, do you have any other thoughts? No, I think that wraps it up for me. Me too. I guess we'll have to see what happens next week then. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for listening to the podcast. It's always great to have you. And I've been Jason. I'm Jimmy. Take care. Bye. Bye.